The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution or don't listen at all. fight fans you are listening to the history of boxing podcast yes what was once the history of boxing series history of heavyweight boxing series then the four kings uh the history of the four kings podcast is now just the history of boxing every fight every single one of them from from the hit the great history of professional boxing we're going to talk about it right here and i am joined by my good friend the punchy pugilist, Mr. Toxic Masculinity to you, Bo's Broken Cup, Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? Good evening, everybody. It's great to be back. We're going to be talking all these crazy happening fights. Um, some of them are here because they were great fights. Some of them are here because they're going to have some infamous moments or are historically significant. But we get to talk all the, the gory and not gory details of each and every one. And we're so excited to be back with you for this series. We got History of Boxing, Hob. We got a slob. We got a guy who touches his knob. You know all that good stuff. So, so yeah, we uh, we started off where Pat and I had a conversation about heavyweight boxing, and it was like, well, let's go back and examine the entire history. And I learned so much from our history of heavyweight boxing podcast. So did all of our viewers. It was a well-regarded series. And then after we did the Four Kings, which I thought that was just going to be like one or two episodes, nope, did that for a whole year. And then after that, I was like, okay. We need to keep doing these history of boxing shows, but I don't want to do another series. And I kind of just want to do these when we have time and there's an interest and there's a particular fight or series of fights we want to examine. So we'll just call the show the history of boxing. And I thought, okay, what should be our inaugural show? What's going to launch version 2.0? And as I looked around and I looked at all the fights and the history of boxing, I thought, what? sums up the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network and our examination of boxing over the years, but the great dick punch of 1996. Yes, sir. Riddick Bowe versus Andrew Galata, one and two. Not just one fight that ended in a disqualification after repeated punches to the dick, but two controversial fights that ended in disqualifications after repeated punches to the dick. We're going to examine the whole damn thing, Pat. <clears throat> this is... I, there's never been such a demand for a rematch off of such a controversy. And then the rematch goes ahead and tops said controversy of the first fight. Like it, 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 it was so unheard of that it happened the way it did. I don't even think we've seen anything really like it since then. No, this really does stand out. I, I can't I can't think of... <clears throat> I mean, back then you had the Fan Man incident, but I think it was Lennox and uh, Holyfield. It was Bowen Holyfield. Bowen Bo Holyfield, yeah. Yeah. You know, you've had, you've had fights that ended in riots before, but I don't think you had repeated fouls, a riot, a rematch, more repeated fouls, the death of two distinctly different careers... A, and, and two fights that really set the heavyweight division in, in a completely different direction than it was going. I mean, most people, 
when they think of Riddick Bowe, they think of him throwing the WBC title in the trash. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and they think of Andrew Galata. Um, you know, you might think of Galata and Tyson. You might think of some of his other fights. But No, <laughs> no they're not. <laughs> but I think, um, as funny as it is to me, and it's why I wanted to talk about it, I think it also needs to be said that the history of the heavyweight division in the late 90s excuse me, still fighting sickness, does take a distinctly different turn because of these two fights. It completely upsets the apple cart, Pat. Oh, 100% it does. Um, You know, the the thought process at the time is that, you know, especially prior to the first fight, that this is going to be just another bow, you know, trial, you know, an opponent who was good but not too good. And after this, he would move on to negotiate a fight with Mike Tyson that they were talking about happening, uh, which would have been, you know, insane. Um, You know, you'd had two guys from Brownsville, Brooklyn, two heavyweight champions, guys with, you know, a little bit of a history, and and they're going to finally go at it. It would have been incredible. Um, And then on the other side, had Galata won and done so in clean fashion, you would have had the launching of a star at that point uh, in the heavyweight division. But – because one guy couldn't and the other guy wouldn't. We got a very odd, crazy outcome out of the whole thing. Let's talk about the Which. history of this thing. So Bo was looking to get himself back into the mix for the World Heavyweight Championship as 1996 began. He lost the world, the WBA and IBF championships uh, back to Evander Holyfield. In their second fight, Bo had gone through five comeback fights and won four of them with a no contest against the infamous Buster Mathis Jr., he also managed to defeat Herbie Hyde for then the fringe WBO heavyweight championship, made one defense of the title, then vacated it to pursue a third fight with Holyfield in 1995. He won. He, by also, he also, at this point in time, had beaten uh, his amateur rival, Jorge Luis Gonzalez, who had immigrated from Cuba and turned pro and was very hyped up. And the big rivalry was him and Bo going back to their amateur days where they cursed each other's mothers and got into a fist fight outside of the ring and, Basically, uh, this was a big pro fight, and it was Gonzalez's first, and he, Bo, just absolutely dominated him and put him out. And, you know, Bo, uh, Bo looked great against uh, Herbie Hyde. He dropped him six times. He outboxed Larry Donald, who was unbeaten at the time. Going into this, people are really think there's a lot of people really seeing that, you know, I think Bo is the best heavyweight in the world again, and it's just a matter of time. And then when he fought Holyfield prior to this, that was a big turning point. Um one, because it was a victory over Holyfield in the rubber match. Also, because at that point in time, they were seen as, you know, arguably one and one A, barring Lennox Lewis. Bo winning that, a lot of people made them believe that he was the best heavyweight in the world again, even though he kind of largely won because Holyfield got tired. Pat, not since the Forgotten Sons era of heavyweight boxing is the world title picture a freaking mess as it is in 1996. Lay it out for me, so in 1996, you're going to have the separation of all three championships um, and and the fringe WBO, which is not a recognized world title at this time, although it should be noted that Bo is the first man to hold all four major belts, though not simultaneously as a heavyweight. Um, but basically, we saw our first split back when Bo had begun his reign as the undisputed champion. He dumped the WBC gar- title into garbage, like you talked about, rather than fight Lennox Lewis, who was their mandatory challenger. The WBC title floats between Lewis, Oliver McCall, uh, Frank Bruno, and eventually Mike Tyson. The WBA and IBF belts are eventually squandered when George Foreman voluntarily vacates both belts at a certain point. The WBA title will go between uh, Bruce Selden, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, and so on and so on. The IBF championship will go between uh, uh, Franz Botha, Michael Moore, uh, Evander Holyfield. It, it's just a mess all over the place, and each title travels on its own journey for a few years. So at this point, you know, we're looking again for someone to pull up Mike Tyson and unify all the titles. There are people thinking, you know, there, there's some thought out there that maybe Riddick Bowe is the guy. And that this is the journey, you know, this is the beginning of that journey. That's what I mean by if this doesn't go the way that it goes in the alternate timeline where um, Andrew Galata can keep punches be- above the belt, 
you might have a situation where Riddick Boat, you know, is able to claim those titles. You might, you might, you might also have a situation where maybe Galata doesn't do what he does and emerges as a top contender and potentially can do something. All right, so you have Riddick Bo who's uh, making a comeback and he's looking for a big fight. He is going to fight Lennox Lewis, but he needs both him and Lennox Lewis are in this like weird mini tournament thing. Where it's like we're we're they're both going to fight tune-up fights and then they'll win those tune-up fights theoretically, which is a weird thing. Can we just talk about that for a second? Like <laughs> let, let's schedule squash matches in boxing. It's like why do you even take that chance? You know, what, what, when, when they're negotiating for Bo versus Lennox Lewis, they're both agreeing to fight each other. Why, Pat? Why not just make that fight when you have it, as opposed to this roundabout way where they're like, Bo will fight Gal- Galata first, and we'll talk about him in a second. Then Lennox Lewis will fight this other Hammonager, and then they'll fight each other. I, I mean, here's the thing. You're going to get the hardcore fans money for a fight like that no matter what. The goal is to rope in the casual viewers who would normally be on the fence about why they should watch something like that. So when you have two guys on a, on a bill and you're very confident that each will win their fight, it, it's very much an appetite wetter and a way to draw interest as best you can um, and maximize your profits. But of course, you know, it, it, it's not scripted. So you have the risk of one of those things not happening and upsetting your plans. And sure enough, here we go. Where yeah, the old Bart gun. <laughs> yeah pretty much so let's talk a little bit about andrew galata um he's undefeated i believe going into the bow fight yes 28 and 0 with 25 knockouts but the rumor on galata is he hasn't really had a, had a real fight he hasn't really won a consequence yeah Galata's most highly regarded opponent at that point in time had been Danelle Doc Nicholson, who was trained by Emmanuel Stewart out of the Kronk Gym. And Galata fought him on an HBO feature called Night of the Young Heavyweights, where that fight was on it. Shannon Briggs fought Daryl Wilson, who knocked him out in three rounds. Um, and then the main event, uh, David Tua knocked out future WBA heavyweight champion John Ruiz in 19 seconds. But Galata wasn't seen as the favorite going in. Nicholson was. And Galata just really thoroughly outboxed him. He had counters for everything Nicholson was looking to do, kept a really busy, active jab in his face. And inexplicably, in the ninth round, Galata decided to throw a flagrant headbutt at Nicholson um, for, for seemingly no reason. He was completely in control of the fight. Uh, or not the, uh, the the eighth round, excuse me. And uh, he, Galata cut himself by throwing a headbutt at Nicholson, but it just it, he didn't care. And then... This was kind of a pattern because he had his previous like most high profile fight had been against a guy from Tonga named Samson Paua that most people would remember watching USA Tuesday Night Fights. And Galata was seen as a heavy favorite for that. And in the fourth round, he was in trouble. Paua was unloading on him and hurt him. And Galata responded by clinching and biting him on the neck. And so at the end of the round, Paua is showing the referee, he bit me, he bit me. Referee goes over to Galata's corner and Galata says, and says to Galata's corner, they go, he's saying you bit him. What happened? And Andrew's trainer looks at him. He goes, Andrew, did you bite him? And Galata goes, I bited the motherfucker. I do what I have to do. And it's just you know, like, what kind of a sick... You're trying to build up Riddick Bow for Lennox Lewis. Maybe this isn't the guy. Well, they were it, it, Lewis was one, but they were really actually going to sideline that and go uh, Bo Tyson. And they were going to sell it in New York, which would have been huge. Um but yeah, like they pick a, you know an undefeated, <laughs> an undefeated guy who was six foot four, two hundred and forty pounds of muscle. He 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 was in an in shape big guy, who has a tendency to do some snapping mentally at this point, but is also immensely physically talented and with good skills. Right, they were taking a chance. I think is my point here, because um, you don't want to put somebody in there who's a complete tomato can. On the other hand, what we're going to talk about, <coughs> excuse me, you're putting in a guy who doesn't always have his uh, doesn't always have his head on his on the shoulders the way he should, yeah, and tend to do some things that he shouldn't be doing, and you're now putting your your cash cow, your you know your big money guy, 
in jeopardy with this nut job. And and part of this is they Riddick's people had really come to understand that Riddick did not like training. He did yes. not get motivated very easily anymore. And, you know, this wasn't the same guy who was fighting his way up to the heavyweight title. It's a guy who'd already had a taste of the high life and enjoys it a lot. And Riddick had a tendency to train to the level of the fight he was going to have. If Riddick was going in there with Evander Holyfield, he was going to train very hard and very diligently. If he had a reason to be motivated like he did with Gonzalez, where this rivalry had been stemming for seven years, yeah, he got motivated for that. But if he's fighting Jesse Ferguson or Larry Donald or these guys, Bo would come in out of shape, win the fight, but not look very good doing it, and make things impossibly difficult where they didn't have to be. <coughs> and I think I think the thought process of putting him in there with a big undefeated athletic guy like Galata with a, a shining record, that was going to be something they thought maybe could motivate Riddick and make him show up and work. No, instead he goes, how do you train for a bum? And he comes in, boy, it's his heaviest weight ever. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the fight itself. Madison Square Garden, July 11th, pay-per-view. And Riddick Bowe, not a great showing. He's getting beat on the punch. I think Galata was hitting him two to one. Galata was able to Galata was able to out jab him considerably. And the weird thing about Riddick Bowe versus Andrew Galata one is that Andrew Galata was winning most rounds. He was definitely winning the fight on the scorecards. Here's the problem, and one of the things that the commentators talked about, and I want to get your opinion about this. They're saying that this wasn't necessarily a matter of Galata snapping and mentally checking out and punching him in the dick purposefully, so much as he could not seemingly get his punches above the waistline due to the height difference. I think I think that's a cop-out, to be honest. Bo did wear his trunk somewhat high, which does make it more difficult to land clean body punches. But the idea that it was all, oh, it was the height difference or whatever. When they did clinch, Galata oftentimes was the aggressor in the clinch and moved Bo around and manipulated him, not vice versa. And at a certain point, you've had two punt, you've had two points deducted for low blow fouls. You're in control of this fight without much left to go. You discipline yourself to not throw those punches, especially when some of them go just flagrantly low, not even borderline. Yeah, there's a couple of times. I can't remember if it's, <coughs> if it's this, if it's this fight or the next one, where Bo, <coughs> Bo is hunched over, and Andrew was like uppercutting him, and he's like just winging him underneath right in the crotch like you you, like at that point it looks like he's aiming for a stick i i mean and and we'll get to the end of the second fight too where it's pretty egregious Mm -hmm. but yeah they're they're again if you told me like one two borderline shots yeah i get it these were at a certain point not even trying to to bring them up he was deliberately just hitting him low well again you know you have riddick bowes hunched over you have a clear shot at his face like your the face is closer than the dick. Last time yeah. I checked. Yeah, and, and, and you're and you're throwing, you're you're throwing hooks from underneath. You have to like literally get underneath the guy, and give him a reach around, to get where he got to. You're, like, you're talking these guys having a one inch height differential, so mm. it's not as though it's a giant gap to begin with. But then on top of that, you have Bo bent over, hunched over, giving up five six inches of height. And still, Galata finds a way to land multiple low blows to the point where they're yelling at him in the corner, Andrew, no more body punches, jabs, hooks, uppercuts. And he just can't do it. I mean, theres I don't know that there's a real round in this fight that Bo won without Galata having points deducted. I don't think there was. Yeah, I think think the judges might have given him one round. Uh, going back over it the other day, but even that, I'd have to, I'd have to re rewatch the fight. Yeah, but again, I, I go back to when they're standing head to head 
and he's throwing body punches and he's hooking to the body or he's uppercutting to the body and he's going a little low. Okay. That I can see, you know, these are errant punches and you're not, your technique is giving way. You're not as good as you think you are. You're hitting them below the belt. And some of them, like they weren't like straight up in the dick either. They were just below the belt line. Like they were like in the pelvis area. Yeah. And then there's those towards the end where it was like, there's no, you went out of your way. That's the point that I was trying to make. Like the head's right there. It's right here, you know? And he's like bypassing it to go way underneath, which then leads to this. So he's winning the fight. Both people are beside themselves. They're apoplectic. They're like, oh my God, how are we losing to the Polish bum? How are we losing to the Polish bum who also can't stop fouling him? And then that last one is so blatant. It's so egregious. He, you know, he might as well have just kicked him in the dick instead of punching him. I mean, it's really bad. Yeah, gets, there, there was, <laughs> that, that was not even an attempt a clean punch. He was yeah. deliberately going for broke on that. And at that point, he said he has to know he's getting disqualified. So he's deliberately right. taking himself out of the fight. Right. Um, it's funny. I was, I was listening to uh, – I was watching the documentary about it. And I guess there was another fight Galata had where he just, like, quit at the end. There's, and, a, there's a few. We'll talk about those after the second one. But You know, where I think – you know, we talk about entitled fighters, and I'm not entirely sure that's Galata, but there is something to be said for a guy who, when things are not going the way he wants them to go, and he gets frustrated, he just kind of throws, you know, he pulls a no moss and just says, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And you're like, yeah, you're, you're at the top of the mountain, like literally one more step and you're home free. And you're like, nah, I don't, I don't want to go. And th- there's, there's nothing you can do about that at that point. That is all 100% mental, mental health. And then, and this is yeah, and this is the part. And we're gonna trust me. This is gonna be as much about mental health as anything else on this show, um, <laughs> at least this episode, we should say. But you're talking about, you know, this is this wasn't a situation where the going got tough, so he needed to get out. He was winning damn near every round of this fight from start to finish. In this fight, the first fight, he really wasn't ever hurt by Bo, right? And you're coming up, you know, pretty easily on the, you know, the distance. So even if you're not going to finish Bo off, you have a commanding lead. You don't look tired. You don't appear to be having any difficulties. Why did you snap and 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 take and give this fight away? I, I do wonder if it's, I want to be able to punch where I want to punch. I want to do a good job. And he's getting called for fouls and he's frustrated with himself, at which point, he just keeps like, well, if I'm going to get called for fouling when I don't think I am, I'm going to be, I'm going to be even more egregious about it. I'm going to be even more of a dickbag, so to speak. Yeah. It's the only thing I can think about, you know, sort of projecting. If I were Andrew Galata, what would I be thinking? And it's like, well, I don't think I hit him low. And, you know, talk about he's wearing the short tie and all of that stuff. I mean, I'm wondering if how much of this was Andrew Galata just being frustrated with, despite the fact that he's winning frustrated with being called on this stuff and losing points, having points deducted and him just going, fuck it. You're going to call me out for that. Watch what I do now. Or is he just so frustrated that Bo is still there despite how well Andrew's fighting? That could also be. Because again, we talked about, you know, against Samson Poa, he was badly hurt and that's why he bit him to stay alive. So that's a little more, it's a, and again, we're not advocating it or saying it's right. It's just easier to understand in that moment why he would do yeah. such a thing versus his performance against Danelle Nicholson, where he's legitimately won every round on every card and still decides to headbutt him. Right. And now we have a situation where he's, only, again, winning almost every round on a card, but just something inside him is is either annoyed that the guy he's beating up so much is still there and he doesn't want to do this anymore or – he just has something inside him that just flips a switch on and goes into, you know, thug mode or I don't know. But it, it's one of those things where trying to understand the mentality of this is so difficult. And you think the more we see of it, the more we'd understand. Well, no, we're going to see less and less that we understand as we go. So now he's fouled. He's disqualified. <coughs> hey, real quick, everyone. I am sorry. I am trying to get... <coughs> 
Sorry. Mark's been fighting off bronchitis, so this really isn't easy for him. Uh, he's really doing a hell of a job, all things considered, can have what difficulty he's having. So we appreciate him, and we understand it's not his regular voice. And he's I trooping just, through it just like uh, Riddick Bowe's cup did. Yeah. I'm trying to mute myself when I do cough, but it sometimes just comes on. Anyway, he's disqualified. He starts going towards his corner. Bo's people rush him from behind. Okay, so here is what that's what starts it. Bo's yeah. corner attacked Galata. Yes. I mean, let's talk about that for a moment. You are can, can a we professional, also... you're a professional corner, professional boxing corner. I understand your frustration. What is to be achieved by punching your opponent by, by beating on the opponent after it's already, you know, your man wins by disqualification like not justice is served you you got you got he's been punished why why did you feel the need to attack him that's not brownsville justice mark (laughs) so uh you know let's paint the picture a little bit here where at madison square garden this night there was no presence of the nypd the only uh secure staffing present was you know, retired, you know, former police officers in their 60s just collecting an easy paycheck working as security. Uh, and what you have collectively, there are a lot of New York locals who are big bow fans and they're there to see the hometown guy done good, beat somebody up. But if you don't know the demographics of the Northeast United States, there is a strong Polish influence in northern New Jersey, where there are a lot of Polish immigrants. The town I lived in in New Jersey was very heavily Polish. And, you know, aside from soccer, there's really not a big Polish national sports hero. So they all were flocking on Galata. And as soon as he got this big opportunity, you had, you know, tons of Polish people from northern New Jersey and tons of Polish people travel from Chicago to New York, where Galata being from Chicago, having the highest population of Polish people outside of Poland. Um, So it's one of those things where it's very, you know, football, soccer, you know, esque and very tribal. And you have a white heavyweight from Europe versus a black heavyweight from Brownsville, you know, two very opposite guys, but guys who are very similar, both 1988 Olympians, uh, both who were from very poor areas that people would refer to as the ghetto and, you know, got into a lot of trouble as kids early. And one came over and wanted to be a truck driver, but ended up being a really good fighter that people tried to push. And the other guy wanted to be a Marine and that didn't turn out well. (laughs) So you have, um, it's funny. I was watching this with my uh, friend's kid and (laughs) he's like 10 or 11, I think. And he was like, I don't understand. Like, what are they all fighting about? And I was like, you have to understand. It's 1996. You have a very black fighter and a very white fighter. And a very black audience and a very white audience. And the black people are mad that the white guy kept hitting him in the dick. And now, even though he's been disqualified. (coughs) Even though there's nothing more that can be done here. (coughs) You just take the DQ and go home. Tempers flared, as I said. The corner attacked Galata's people. And I think as we've seen, like, if you look at like the great histories of sports riots, it doesn't take much to agitate no. the crowd. Because I, I mean, think what and that's the thing. That's that's why I want to draw attention to this. Once Riddick Bowe's people signaled to the rest of the audience it's okay to attack Whitey, they followed. But Whitey was not going down without swinging. No. And and this stopped being about, and this is the point, this stopped being about Galata being unsportsmanlike. This stopped being about the fight. This was about, I'm black, you're white, let's fight. Which is, you know, in 1996, it's easy to forget. We're only a few years short, you know, away from the Rodney King riots. You know, we're we're only a few years away from uh, ICE's cop killer. There are, even though it's the 90s, there are still a lot of racial tension in America. And it, it's kind of like I've been recently saying about, you know, 
the uh, inclusion of LGBTQI characters in movies, where I think for the most part, most Americans are like, yeah, we're fine with these people. We're fine with these people in our family. We're fine with these people being around. I just don't want to bring my kids to movies with them in it. Me as a parent, you know, like we're not interested in hurting you or taking away your rights, but just stay away from my kids. (laughs) That kind of a thing. And it's kind of the way things were in the nineties with whites and blacks. We're okay with you existing. We like, we like your music. We like your, we like your movies. Just fine. Stay the fuck over there. And then when you, you mix them up and everyone's like, we're all going to get along here. Right? Sure. Until we aren't. And then suddenly like that thin veneer of, of social dynamism where we're just, just going to tolerate you dissipates so very easily and all of that racial stuff flares and now you're just like all the anger comes up all the frustration you know the disaffection all of it comes out and 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 one could even like don't you don't have to be so uh wordy about it or um intellectual people just you know they just want to fight they want to fight someone that doesn't look like them and that's what that riot turned into. Like you can't convince me otherwise. By the end of that, as long as as long as that went, because that goes on for like twenty to thirty minutes. It was. They said there that there was a twenty-three minute gap between the start of the actual rioting and the police arriving on the scene. Right. It becomes a thing where if you're just looking for an excuse to beat the shit out of somebody this and this was it then that's what then that's what this was this had nothing to do with boxing anymore this had nothing to do with bogalata i think after a while it had even less to do with race than it did with when people just want to fight yeah i mean and i don't disagree with any of that but like you're pointing to the the member of bo's camp who basically rushes in right behind after the fight stopped and shoves galata from behind what were you hoping to achieve at all with that right so, in fairness to Galata, <laughs> he has been struck from behind. He turns around and starts swinging, as he has every right to do at this point, especially because he's wearing boxing gloves. And, it's you know, that kind of a street fight, those can handicap you. So, he, he's defending himself immediately. As soon as he defends himself, you got the other idiot who runs in with the walkie-talkie and starts tomahawking Andrew in the head with it. Um, and this is the same guy who'd done it to the fan man at ringside. So there's already video proof of him doing this once. Now he's doing it to Galata, assaulting him with a weapon after Galata just tried to defend himself. You have all these idiots rushing the ring. Then you have them signaling to the crowd basically, hey, see that guy next to you who doesn't have a tan? Go get him. And a lot of that shit happened. And if you don't know much about Polish immigrants – Polish immigrants are pretty damn stubborn and don't really back down very easy. So you, again, have this almost tribal warfare happening between the two warring parties. And it's it just gets crazy because, again, there's no security, no police. You have, again, the, the limited security that there is are 60-year-old retired cops trying to fight off 20-year-olds, you know, who have been, you know, five and six beers, beers deep at this point and are full-on raging. And now, you know, this whole shit mess happens – Lou Duva is having a heart attack in the ring and has to be carried out on a stretcher that they have to fight through the crowd to get him out. You have idiots trying to rush Jim Lampley, Larry Merchant, and George Foreman, who George had to physically take out a couple of guys to help defend Jim and Larry, which is insane. Like You have that whole arena to pick from, somebody to rush, and you choose George Foreman. Can we just give like credit where credit's due? George Foreman, black. Jim Lampley, white. George Foreman didn't care. Just saved his, saved his coworker, saved, saved his colleague, S- saved the people who weren't doing anything that he cared about and could help. Right? <laughs> you know, like credit where credit's due, man. I, I mean, I'm 100 percent positive if George had been in the ring, nobody would have laid a hand on Lou Duva. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and like I, but that's the thing. It's it, you have civilized people who understand that, like George, like Jim, like Larry who look at each other as friends and don't care what color you are. Like I'm, I'm sticking with you through this whole situation. And uh, you know, it gets so crazy. You have 20 uninterrupted minutes of just violence for the sake of violence against people in an arena being destroyed and pulled apart. And finally, like they, they get police in there. 
I think they said something like 18 to 20 arrests were made. Uh, 20 to 25 people were hospitalized with injuries of some sort. Um, they had uh, Lampley make it up to the control booth inside, and he, they told him, like, Jim, just think of something to personalize this, and, and we'll head off the air. And his line was, me, I got a 16-year-old daughter in here, and I'm scared to death of what's happening because I'm not with her right now, you know, and it's pretty it's pretty insane to think about which fortunately she was safe at the time and jim makes it clear on the air to like thank george he goes i want to let everyone know you know george foreman was at ringside and he defended larry merchant and myself from some people and we you know we want to thank you for that george and it 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 was one of the ugliest things you'll ever see um you know you we you talked about the history of riots after you know fights and such that was commonplace in the 40s and 50s and they would play the national anthem to calm the crowd down and get everybody to stop and just respect the national anthem. But, you know, this was a very uh, different time than that. And that might not work sometimes. And now, now it would never work again, mind you, in the climate we're in, but that's what used to be done. But this, a riot of this scale in a fight hadn't been seen in the United States in a long time. And it, they were just ill-prepared from it from every end. So you have a guy who can't stop <coughs> who can't stop intentionally vowing you have an out of shape uh champion boxer controversial ending the lennox lewis fight is gone that's off the table tyson's gone tyson's gone what do you do with riddick bow what do you do with andrew galata do you punish andrew galata do you suspend him do you take his license for all the nonsense that he caused does Riddick Bowe go home and go into the woods to live deliberately to think about things no they go hey remember that dick punch well apparently people are really interested in seeing what happens if Andrew Galata doesn't keep hitting you in the dick and they're like yeah there's money on the table here let's do it and again. if you show up in shape Bo <laughs> think of the magic we can create if you just hit the gym and Andrew can manage to hit you above the shorts line. So they make the fight again, December 14th. From a <coughs> time, as opposed to Madison Square Garden, we were in a fight town, Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. And at, I think they were at the convention center. And like they immediately made the first order of business having a high police presence there. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, this time, Riddick Bowe, I think, drops. Good, like thirty pounds. Like he comes in at like two thirty-two. He he lost a lot of weight in a very short amount of time. Like, yeah, I, I think the spin on this one is that he might have been a little dehydrated going into that fight. Uh, he was absolutely using diuretics and stuff like that. Stuff that's not necessarily the healthiest way to shed weight. Um, and on top of that, uh, part of that was, and, and the widely speculated part of that is because Eddie Futch had quit as Bo's head trainer because even though he'd been with Bo through this long and always said Bo had the potential to be as the best heavyweight he ever trained. And this is the guy who trained Joe Frazier, Ken Norton, Larry Holmes, Michael Spinks. And, and he said Bo could have easily been the best. The fact that Eddie got so frustrated with him that he quit as his head trainer says a lot about what Bo was doing in terms of keeping himself in shape or not. Right. <coughs> so we make the fight. No big intro here. Second fight goes largely the way the <coughs> largely the way the first one went. Andrew Galata was able to control most of the fight. This is another one where I think Bo may have went one a round or two. Bo Bo had that one big round where he had really right. badly hurt Andrew and dropped him. But for the most part, Galata is unloading on Bo. Bo is frustrated through this. Bo kind of, Bo's will kind of breaks before the unfortunate ending of this one. The problem is, as we talked about at the onset, Galata can't keep the, the punches above the waist. And he's fouling him and fouling him and fouling him, and finally... And he I rabid can't. punches him, too. Right. And despite the fact that he's winning, despite the fact that he's, you know, controlling the fight for the most part, Galata, and this is what we talked about, Bo is hunched over, just literally, like... Three boom. punch combination. Yeah, like like it was a speed bag. I remember watching it with my friend's kid, and we kind of laughed at it because it's kind of just one of these. Like, like you know, here's his dick, right? Boom, boom, boom. 
It was it was a three punch combination, all aimed square at his dong. Like, yeah, there's... I mean, I we have seen some kicks in the dick and some punches in the dick in the UFC. You know where Joe Rogan has to then go into his twenty minute soliloquies, and some of them you're like, mm, that didn't seem like it was that bad, and others you're like, you could feel it through the television where every guy in the room just doubles over. I I don't think I have hurt virtually as badly as I did on that sec that last one that gets Galata disqualified. Oh, it, it was it was so bad. Um and and Andrew Andrew really did more damage to Bo in this fight than he did in the first fight where Bo was in worse shape. Bo came in and you know everybody was like, "Oh, wow, he looks trim and whatever." It's very clear he's dehydrated like you said immediately. And as such, he's tired out very quickly. And he just absorbs and absorbs and absorbs. And Galata's letting his hands flow even more free in this fight than he did in the last one. He knocks Bo down. He hurts Bo repeatedly. There's one point, I think it's like the fifth or sixth round, he lands like something like 35 unanswered punches yeah. to Bo through the course of the round. And it's just, and they're just all hammers. He's not throwing anything light. There's no feel outs. Galata's throwing hard, hard shots. And they're landing flush. And but again, through the course of this fight, he is warned again for low blows. He is deducted a point for low blows. He is warned for rabbit punching. He is warned for headbutting and has a point taken away for it. And again, cuts himself, not his opponent, with the headbutt. Because I don't know if he knew this at the time, but he was white. And then on top of that, he low blows him again. And gets disqualified yet again. So it, you, you can't make it up. <laughs> uh, another win by disqualification. Um, uh, after that, no, no riot this time. They just <laughs> they're both escorted out of the ring, and that's kind of the end. This is pretty much the end of Riddick Bowe's boxing career. Well, three was, more wins. He'll get three more a, wins. It was a crossroads fight, but nobody knew what those crossroads really were going to end up being. He'll have three more wins. Marcus Road, Billy Zumbrun, uh, Gene Bacall. He'll have three solid days in the Marines. Um, and Riddick Bowe will go on to be one of the great head cases of boxing's history. And I don't mean to sound flip, but it really was one of those like, if ooh, if you were only sane, what 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 could have been? And as and Oh, yeah, go on, go on. As for our man, uh, Andrew Galata, um, he goes on quite he goes on quite a bit here. He his next fight, because how do you what do you do with a guy who loses two fights by DQ for low blows? Give him a shot for WC, WBC heavyweight title. I mean, we talked about this before briefly. He gets uh, knocked out by Lennox Lewis in the first round. He then goes on the a look bit on of a <laughs> Every time I watch that fight, he, when he gets knocked down and the camera sees his face, and he just has a look on his face like, <laughs> it's so it's so good. All right. Um, he goes on quite a win streak, and then he, uh, gets, a he gets an NABF heavyweight title fight, which he loses against Michael Grant. Um, he has two and more that's fights. a perfect example of what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Against Michael Grant, Galata knocked him down in the first round, had won about seven of the next eight rounds on all three scorecards. They're in the 10th and final round, and it's impossible that Michael Grant can win a decision. Michael Grant winds up knocking Galata down in the 10th round. Galata is not badly hurt. There's about a minute left, so all Galata basically has to do is hold on. He gets up. The referee looks at him and says, Andrew, you want to continue? And Andrew doesn't answer him. He goes, Andrew, do you want to continue? Looks at him and says, no. And inexplicably just quits in a fight he had won. Even if he didn't throw any more punches, all he had to do was just not get knocked out, and he wins the fight. And he chose not to do it. He chose to quit. Speaking of which, he fights Mike Tyson on October, oh. October 20th, 2000, where Mike retires him on the stool in round three. And then Mike Tyson fucking fails a drug test. Do, do, well, do you remember the whole scene at this point when – they basically had to force Andrew to go out for the second round and fight. No. He got Galata got knocked down in the first round by an overhand right. No big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they have the second round where he they basically had to yell at him, You're going out there to fight. Get out there. Like, I don't want to do this. No, get out there. Come on. Goes out. And then after the third round, 
he just says, fuck this, I'm not doing it anymore. And they go, what? He goes, fuck this. And he starts trying to storm off. Al Cerdo was his trainer at the time. Al Cerdo tries to put his mouthpiece in and Glass spits it out like a kid that won't eat this baby food. He, he storms out. They throw drinks at him. It's it's horrible. And Al Cerdo later said, he knows, I tried to – Al Cerdo would later say, he goes, I tried to shove that mouthpiece in his mouth. I should have stuck it up his ass. <laughs> and, and, and at that point – Everybody kind of thinks, all right, well, this is the last chance Galata's had at anything. And he even retires for a little bit. Oh. And gets, he, he gets into a little bit of legal trouble after going back to Poland, which is why he fled Poland He fled Poland in the first place. Um, but then out of nowhere, he just kind of makes a comeback. And he gets announced as an opponent for Chris Bird on a heavyweight night of fights at Madison Square Garden. And Galata performs really, really well. He fights a great fight against Chris Burr, who's very highly regarded. He's the IBF heavyweight champion. And they fight to a draw in a fight a lot of people felt Galata won or could have gone either way. It, but it was a great close fight. But everybody was shocked because it was like, that was Andrew Galata. Where did he come from with this? Right. And he held his composure through a difficult fight through the entirety of it. So then gets- he- Go ahead. Then he gets a shot at the WBA title against John Ruiz. And he knocks Ruiz down. He beats him up pretty good for most of it. Ruiz's cornerman, Norman Stone, is thrown out by the referee for throwing foul language at him. <laughs> and it's a fight that a lot of people, again, believe Andrew should have won. Only this time they give the decision to Ruiz, which is one of many decisions given to Ruiz that people regard as wrong. Um and this was no exception. People were actually really upset because the Andrew Galata redemption tour was getting a lot of people interested and ha- having fun with. And unfortunately, it's his next fight that basically ended it because he got a third title shot in a, in a row, despite having lost his previous fight and a draw before that. He fought the WBO title holder, Lehman Brewster, who at the time is on a career best tear and Unfortunately for Andrew, Lehman dropped him three times in the first round and got the fight stopped. Yep. Um, he gets three more wins, and then he goes out on his shield, three more losses, two of which are in Poland. And that, with a record of 41 wins and nine losses, one draw, one no contest, <coughs> that is the career of Andrew Galata. The foul pole. <clears throat> <clears throat> It was so funny. I made Mark choke. Huh? No, but uh, that's the career of Andrew. And it was a lot of unfulfilled potential. He spent a lot of his best years just doing stupid things. And that was what made his comeback so interesting when it happened. And a lot of people were rooting for him. And unfortunately, it was just too little, too late, and not well politically connected enough to beat Don King's champions. And that is going to wrap our, before I die, that's going to wrap our first episode of the History of Boxing podcast. Rick Bow versus Andrew Galato, the great dick punch of 1996. I had fun, despite, despite nearly dying on the podcast, I had fun talking about this. And I think it earns its place in history of at least being worthy of discussion in the greater heavyweight picture of the late 1990s. So um, I hope you had a good time too, Pat. I did. And, uh, we, you know, we talked about Andrew. Unfortunately, Riddick Bow. this is really the end for him. He, he, Takes, you know, short fight against Marcus Road after he departs from three days of basic training as a Marine, <laughs> uh, saying he didn't know how difficult it was going to be. Um, and he'll come back in a really ill-advised comeback in 2004 after it's already been established that he's suffering from brain trauma. Um, Boat had an incident, unfortunately, where he kidnapped his wife and children at knife point. And the, that was the earliest kind of known using CTE as a defense for aggressive behavior which it does line up with knowing what we know now. Um, And unfortunately for Riddick, they allowed him to fight twice after he had had these brain injuries. He looked terrible, was beaten nearly by guys who would not have shined his shoes in his prime. And Bo's continuing to fight that with slurred speech and, you know, damaged reflexes. And it's a shame, but, you know, at a point in time, he was the best heavyweight in the world. And that's something he can always be proud of. And uh, these two fights are forever in history for very odd circumstances, but Bo got to this fame and notoriety because he was the best heavyweight in the world at a point in time. All right. Tomorrow, uh, I will not be on it because I was either asleep or the projector wasn't working. So I will not be on tomorrow's Damn You Hollywood, but Alexis Hayne is going to sub in for me. Uh, we'll also have Zachary Strobel and, of course, Robert Winfrey will be there to be the ants at your picnic. 
So they're going to review Disney Strange World, which is like the biggest bomb. Oh, there's, the there's the, the people who paid to see it. Yeah, really. <clears throat> um, Thursday, we're going to re-air our Alexander Usyk, Chaz Witherspoon uh, alternative commentary. And in the evening, hopefully I'm doing better then than I am now. Myself, Andrew Graham, and David Wright will be discussing the Crown Season 5. Uh, as far as what Pat and I are doing, uh, the history of boxing, yeah? Uh, we've got... Um, hey, do you remember when we discussed uh, Mayweather versus Pacquiao? Yes. Years and years ago, we did a preview and then a review. We did. Well, I cut that all up into pieces, and I'm going to re-air it on December 3rd. Awesome. Yes, sir. Uh, and then we're back to the smart. <laughs> and then we'll be doing the real history of boxing again. We're going to have Gavin Napier on. Gavin Napier doesn't like anything. But the, <laughs> few things, but the few things he does like is the Diego Corrales, Luis Castillo fight. Oh. <coughs> From May 7th, it's been, 2005. It's been 17 years, and I still remember it as fondly as I do then. Yeah. You know, some say it's like the best pure action fight in modern boxing. So we're going to examine it. Uh, Diego Corrales, Jose Luis Castillo. January 26th, Pernell Whitaker versus Julio Cesar Chavez. March 9th, Aaron Pryor versus Alexis Aguero. March 30th is going to be an extra long show. I initially had this broken up into two parts, but I ain't got that kind of time anymore. We're going to look at all four. Manny Pacquiao versus Juan Mar Manuel Marquez. Be the guys getting punched in the dick. And finally, April 27th, that's what we got up to so far. We've got the Barrera Morales trilogy. So that's what's coming up next year on the History of Boxing podcast. You excited, Pat? Uh, I am super excited. And right now, our, our planned uh, and last episode so far is my favorite boxing trilogy of all time. So I couldn't be more excited. All right. Well, before I kill over and die, do you have any plugs you want to you want to give us or uh, we'll get out yes, of Yes, you can listen recently to Mark and myself talk about something other than boxing. We talk about movies, specifically They Live in our recent On Trial here on W2M Network. You can also hear us on another Roddy Piper vehicle called Hell Comes to Frogtown, where we do a live watch along to it. Uh, also available here on W2M. What can we say? We're, we're, we're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and we love us some Roddy Piper. Very true. Um, if you enjoyed this history of boxing show, despite the coughing, and you want to hear us do the entire history of heavyweight boxing. Without coughing. Without coughing. That's on the archives, as well as our series on the Four Kings, which wrapped up earlier this year. For Pat Mullen, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>